Among other things, November 15th is apparently National Ample Time Day. Here's hoping that you have enough time to get through this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast that takes a certain amount of time to create, and the word ample may not quite be congruent. I'm Sean Tubbs, the recent purchaser of a dictionary. In this edition, Northrop Grumman is opening an advanced testing facility in Waynesboro, and the hope is to create 300 jobs. Eugene and Lorraine Williams will receive the Chamber of Commerce's Lifetime Achievement Award later this month. There's a quick update on activity at the University of Virginia in terms of construction, and City Council indicated at their November 1, 2023 City Council work session on the Development Code that they may support reintroduction of discretionary review for height increases in commercial corridors. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the holidays are fast approaching, and the Friends of Charlottesville Downtown and the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau are gearing up for another season of Magic on the Mall. Beginning on Saturday, November 25th, there will be something for every member of the family. The Jolly Holly Trolley will be running up and down the mall from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays through December 23rd. You can take free selfies with Santa from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, November 25th and on December 16th. Go on a magical scavenger hunt to find the elves in Seaville by starting at Charlottesville Insider or downloading the map online. Follow the Peppermint Trail where you can find all sorts of treats. You can locate the map in a link in the newsletter. Downtown businesses will have a festive face-off in the Best of Snow window competition, and you can vote for the jolliest. And celebrate with the Shabbat House of UVA the fourth night of Hanukkah with a menorah lighting and traditional foods. That last one is on December 10th. Visit friendsofseaville.org to learn more. Military contractor Northrop Grumman will invest $200 million to build an advanced electronic manufacturing and testing facility in the city of Waynesboro with an eye toward creating more than 300 jobs within five years. The private company's decision has been helped along by an $8.5 million grant from the Commonwealth's Opportunity Fund that will assist the city government. The news was announced yesterday morning by Governor Glenn Youngkin. Applicants for those jobs will be fueled by the Virginia Talent Accelerator Program, an initiative of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Here's a section from the press release for the announcement. Launched in 2019, the program accelerates new facility startups through the direct delivery of recruitment and training services that are fully customized to a company's unique products, processes, equipment, standards, and culture. According to its website, Northrop Grumman has over 100,000 employees in space, aeronautics, defense, and cyberspace with corporate headquarters in Northern Virginia. There's a link to current job opportunities in the newsletter. The Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce will hand out four annual awards at a gala on November 30th, 2023, and one of them is for a couple who have been involved with the civil rights movement locally and who later worked to preserve affordable places to live. Here's a section from the November 9th press release announcing the awards. 
In the 50s and 60s, Eugene and Lorraine Williams organized sit-ins, helped the Charlottesville branch of the NAACP grow exponentially, and spearheaded a lawsuit to integrate city schools. The Williams will receive the Lifetime Achievement Award. Earlier this year, the dogwood properties that they formed in the early 80s were purchased by the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority for $10 million. The other chamber awards are... The Christopher Lee Small Business Person of the Year is John Vermillion, the president of Charlottesville Sanitary Supply Corporation. Willow Tree will receive the Upstanding Award for business practices, including efforts toward sustainability, volunteerism, charitable giving, and diversity and equity initiatives. The Business Leader of the Year will go to Tracy Green the executive director of the Charlottesville Business Innovation Council and the founding executive director of the Charlottesville Angel Network. The awards dinner will be held at the Kimpton Forum Hotel at Darden on November 30th. You can purchase tickets in a link in the newsletter. The beginning of any Charlottesville Planning Commission meeting is a chance to learn more about what's happening in the built environment through reports from commissioners. Last night, Bill Palmer in the University of Virginia's Office of the Architect said he did not have a big report and that the next meeting of the Board of Supervisors is not until December. But he did have a few updates. The main library uh, has also actually is nearing completion. It got its temporary uh, occupancy permit, which is a, a big milestone so they can start, you know, occupying the building and bringing stuff in like books and things like that. Palmer said April is the estimated time for completion. He also had an update on a project that's been built on the banks of the Dell. Contemplative Commons, which is also over that way, is, is also nearing completion. Uh, I don't know the exact date on that, but winter, spring 2024. The second student residential building in the Brandon Avenue corridor is also under construction with another 300 beds and should be ready for students to move in in the fall of 2024. The two wings will be named Gaston House and Ramazani House to reflect the names of two late professors. Turning to the Ivy Corridor, the School of Data Science is also almost complete, but other projects will soon get underway. One that has broken ground is the Hotel and Conference Center. The Karsh Institute of Democracy is still in design. Two items that Palmer did not mention have previously been covered in this podcast. UVA has purchased the Oaklawn property in Fifeville, and the University of Virginia has sought firms to conduct a planning study for properties it owns on Grove Street in Fifeville. More from the Planning Commission in future editions of the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out. WTJU provides great music for the community every hour of the week, including live performance broadcast by area artists. Get your calendar ready to mark down some of those times. Every third Saturday, WTJU hosts Third Rail, a live music series that pushes genre boundaries. On November 18th, the station will host Free Pony, a post-punk quartet from Charlottesville. This concert and all other Third Rail programs are broadcast live on WTJU, live video streaming at WTJU's YouTube channel, and are free for anyone to attend in person at 2244 Ivy Road. 
And every Friday night, WTJU hosts a live music series called Offbeat Roadhouse, featuring mostly acoustic artists, folk, blues, jazz, Americana, and beyond. This Friday features BB3, or the Bob Bonetta 3. That's a live concert that is free and open to the public. Check out the schedule at WTJU.net for more information. One big, long story to conclude today. Since getting back to journalism in the summer of 2020, I've tried to document as much as I can about the Seville Plans Together initiative. That's the name given to the land use reform process ordered by City Council back in February of 2019. City Council adopted an affordable housing plan in March of 2021 and followed that up with adoption of a comprehensive plan in November. Both called for the rewriting of the city's zoning code to make it easier for developers to build more units and to dedicate at least $10 million a year toward the production and maintenance of affordable housing. The zoning update is now officially known as the Development Code, and the Charlottesville Planning Commission made its recommendation for approval on October 18th. Since then, City Council has been holding a series of work sessions to inform their vote. A final work session is scheduled for November 29th, followed by a public hearing on Tuesday, December 5th. Before that time, I hope to create at least one long overview of how we got to this point, but I've still got to sift through the work sessions from November 1st, November 8th, and November 13th. These meetings are long, and I've tried to listen to every word. Before we get to November 1st, I should say I'm also behind with the property transactions that I do, and I'll have a summary of September transactions available for a first look for paid subscribers sometime before Thanksgiving. I take a look at every single property transaction in Charlottesville and have published summaries since January of 2021. Why do I do it? To document what's happening, to understand the sheer amounts of money that can be made off of real estate if you know how to play the game. I don't and I reckon most other people don't either. But here's an observation from Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook at the very beginning of the November 1st, 2023 Council work session on the development code. The greatest profit margin for somebody to, to do this uh, and, and to buy up something and, and um, basically take it out of the, the market uh, for those who want to simply buy and own in that neighborhood the greatest incentive for that to happen is going to be in this 10-page area, Fifeville area. The future land use map of the comprehensive plan designated portions of these areas called sensitive communities in order to create policies that would seek to slow or prevent displacement of black residents. After staff suggested not creating a special category in the new zoning code, the Housing Advisory Committee began advocating that certain parts of these areas get fewer development rights to make them less attractive to investors. These are now known as the Residential Core Neighborhood A District areas, and as a base would only allow one residential unit per lot unless an existing building is kept. Then there could be a total of two additional units. Contrast that with Residential A, where a property owner would get three units by right. Over the last decade or so, many properties in those two neighborhoods and the Rose Hill neighborhood have been picked up by investors for relatively low prices, 
and many have been flipped for much, much more. Fenton Page used to be a distinct neighborhood that extended up to 12th and 13th, and now it's what we would call Fenton Page does, doesn't extend. I mean, in terms of the black community that had uh, been living there for generations, uh, they're not there on 13th Street anymore or 12th Street really much anymore. A lot, awful lot of students in there. At the same time, Snook said he's heard many arguments from people who say that the residential core neighborhood A district takes away the ability for people who live there now to maximize the amount they can get for the property should they choose to sell. Mama had been, lived there for 50 years and she died and none of the kids want to live there anymore. They want to sell the house. Why shouldn't they be able to maximize their, their profit? Their generational wealth <laughs> is embodied in that house and you're saying we can't, we can't access that. And that, for some folks, that would seem to be just as much a, a racial issue as the, the composition of the neighborhood. As the November 1st meeting began, Snook said he was torn between the two views and drew upon his experience as an attorney writing up people's wills. City Councilor Michael Payne said he understood that tension, but said there would still be an increase in development rights in the RNA district over what's allowed now. City Councilor Brian Pinkston said the extent of the RNA zones in the draft map was much larger than he had anticipated. He supported its inclusion in the draft that will go to council for their public hearing. I feel like uh, this has really been... um probably the most difficult issue uh, conceptually to try to work through. There were lots of people who gave lots of helpful input, um, both through the hack and with the planning commission. And I feel like, and with your staff as well, James, uh, that you all uh, came up with what you thought was a good compromise. Um, it's, it's not perfect. There's definitely going to be the trade-off that was mentioned between um, you know, whether a person is able to fully take advantage of, you know, selling out their equity where they are now versus the fact that if we uh, aren't careful, all of these neighborhoods will just be uh, eroded by gentrification. Pinkston also supported the overlay district for Preston Avenue and Cherry Avenue that was also introduced after the Planning Commission's public hearing on September 14th. Under this concept, Developers in those two areas would have to ask for a special exception permit for additional height. This is a different process from the special use permit process that's been used for years for that purpose. You know, what's being proposed for the corridors is responsive to uh, to the concerns that were brought to us about the dairy market project when we had all of the people show up at our planning commission meeting back in August. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he was mostly concerned about preventing displacement in what the future land use map referred to as sensitive communities. He said he has been meeting with people who are concerned the new development code will not deliver what has been promised. And if we go through all of this and, and we still lose our neighborhood, it just would really be tough, you know. And I know it's hard to say, you know, someone comes to someone and say, we're going to give you a million dollars for your property. There's no ordinance or, or, you know, in the world that will prevent something like that. 
Payne expressed concern that other areas of the city designated to be in the new mixed-use commercial districts will hurt the fabric of existing small businesses. He indicated he might support expanding the overlay districts in part because the special exemption process would give more voice to nearby residents. In some areas, that may be fine. I understand there's the idea to move away from discretionary processes, and there's a trade-off in terms of costs there. Um, But there's still part of me that just wonders, beyond even what's outlined, what is the great fear that there's a special use permit or equivalent to that in some areas where you're talking about a change to 10 stories or eight stories where the existing conditions may be like 35 feet by right. Pinkston said he could see the East High Street corridor being another that could use the additional step for additional density. Payne said he would like to see more protections given to the city's existing mobile home parks. My thinking is if the goal is to try to prevent displacement of renters, and the ideal would be if you could find specific parcels that have a high percentage of low-income renters with no subsidy. My concern is, again, you know, mobile home park, you allow, you change the zoning to allow unlimited density, five stories with the height bonus. If that increases the value of the parcel by 100% and that owner sells it, um, all those people are screwed and they're never going to live here again. Hearing what Payne had had to say, Neighborhood Development Director James Fries asked the five councillors if they supported the idea of requiring a special use permit for anything over five stories in those commercial districts. Snook said there were a couple of competing tensions. One tension is that we know that every time we end up talking about SUPs, it slows the process down and causes more expense for for applicants. Uh, On the other hand, it also gives the the government, the the planners, more control over the process. Uh, And the idea is that we may not be able to so finely tune our zoning ordinance that we can we can say with certainty which which results we would always find to be acceptable. Snook asked if there was a third way in between. Fries said that wasn't likely and that the permit process introduces risk to both the developer and the city because the city has to invest time and staff to review the work before it gets to the legislative process. Pinkston said he supported this idea, but noted it was counter to much of the thrust of the Seville Plans Together initiative. The idea that the you know the architects, as it were, of this whole enterprise, one of their main criteria uh, was that we would get out of the business of having so much you know paperwork, for lack of a better word, and people would have a pretty good sense of what they could build by right. Uh, just by essentially looking at the, um, the zoning map. Pinkston said he would support the additional review if it assuaged Payne's concern. We've spoken a lot about you know, displacement of people, and now we're shifting to discussions of displacement of businesses, which is important too. Fries said the special exemption process will also introduce risk, which could dissuade developers from moving forward with projects. They would also point out the other uncertainty is in the in the form of the conditions that might arise. Right? What what conditions am I going to get that I that are going to blow my pro forma? Um, and and again, that's one of the things we we're trying to look front load into the ordinance. Under the proposed development code that's been under review since February, 
additional height above the buy-right allowance would only be granted if there are affordable units. Here's Freeze with the details. RX, CX, NX, IX, in all of those, uh, there's a bonus height that you're able to see in exchange for providing that uh, that affordable dwelling unit at uh, at a, at a uh, AMI at 50% of AMI, right? So the base requirement is that everybody has to do without any bonus is 60% of AMI. 10% of units is 60% of AMI. If you drop down to 50% of AMI, that's when you get the bonus. Those rules will all be codified within the Affordable Housing Manual, which was the subject of the November 13th work session. But at the very end of the November 1st work session, at least two councillors indicated a willingness to reintroduce the concept of the special use permit back into the development code, at least so it can be discussed at the public hearing. Let's go ahead and put it in the advertisement. We may not do it. We, you know, that's that's what I that for any commercial use of five store of more than five stories, there would have to be a special use permit. Yes. Okay. So we're saying any use in those districts over five stories. That's what, what, that's what I was thinking. And the reason for that was that to say a commercial use, we get into the issue of, well, supposing you've got three stories that are commercial and four stories that are going to be residential. Is that a commercial use or a residential use? Let's not have that argument, at least not right now. I'll have a summary of the November 8th work session before the end of the week. September property transactions, hopefully soon. Thank you for listening, and please ask questions. And do go back and look at other stories that I've written, and I will try to have something that makes sense um, before December 5th. Now we're at the end of 602, and readers who do not listen to the podcast may not know that there are listeners who never read the newsletter. This makes me wonder if it's time to begin producing this information in a third medium. Either way, I am making an effort to remix the concluding audio today based on the notes of a listener who said it was difficult to hear it. No matter how you read this, hear it, or whatever, drop me a line at info at if you have feedback. I have been neglecting mentioning the importance of Frocky to the podcast version of this newsletter. The bridge music that you would hear is almost all composed by this mysterious luminary of the sonic variety, and there are also two items available for free on Bandcamp. I've heard rumor there may soon be a retrospective podcast hosted behind the Patreon paywall documenting the elusive Rocky. That's something that should happen, at least. Thank you very much, and goodbye.